Our scripture reading this morning comes from James chapter 1. As you're turning there, the children can be dismissed for Children's Church. They will head upstairs to the Children's Chapel. As you've been hearing, Vacation Bible School is almost over. There are a couple of projects left. One you see behind me. This castle needs to come down today following church. And so if you'd like to help us carry that out to a trailer that will... We'll take down and carry it outside. There's also a tent out here in the backyard that needs to come down following church today as well. So if you could stick around just for a few minutes afterwards and help with those couple of projects, we would appreciate it this morning. We're in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. We may or may not get to that text this morning. We've made preparation for this before we decided to insert those pictures and have the children sing this morning. We do want to look at James. If you want to go there, let me just kind of walk through it a bit and say a little bit more about lacking wisdom that I didn't say last week, and we'll see where we're at then. I did promise my wife that I won't keep her up there forever this morning. So this whole book is about... um, is about what the fruit of the implanted word looks like in a person, in a believer, in a Christian. The fruit of the implanted word that we talked about a few weeks ago, it means that one that has been brought to life by the word, by the spirit, applying the word and bringing us to life in Christ. And so this whole book is is about what it ought to look like as a Christian, how we ought to think, with the wisdom that we ought to operate by, um, the life of faith, really. And we've walked through it now. The first thing that we learn about the life of faith is that trials will come to a person, a person who has a life of faith. It comes to everybody. The world is broken. You can't escape it. It says there, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. My brothers, Christians, Various kinds, you can insert the trial you want to insert in that. It is all-encompassing. They will come. This life is broken. It is broken more than we even know it's broken. And it will not function except at times to create havoc in our lives or attempt to create havoc in our lives. Um, they They are trials, tests, if you will. We'll talk about that a little later as we walk through the book of James that in many ways they are tests that come to us, but how we ought to respond differently than the way the world responds to those things is what it's talking about. We need to count it all joy, the scripture says. Doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge brokenness, doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt and hurt like the dickens sometimes, and that we can say that, but at the same time, we can count it as joy. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing is what scripture talks about. That's what Paul said. We are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Both of those dynamics, I think, are part of the life of faith. 
Sometimes both at the same time. We can be sorrowful and yet rejoicing. We can count it all joy. Because there's purpose in them. They are purposeful. Those trials for the Christian are not without purpose. They have a purpose. They are building steadfastness into the life of faith. A steadfastness, as we talked about this morning, that we need to show our children, the generations that come after us, because they will face the same things, and they need to see how a person of faith deals with those trials of various kinds, a process of strengthening and deepening our faith and our trust in God. And then last week, we went to the text where it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. And I want to spend a little more time there in that particular section this morning talking about what I think that means more fully. It's interesting, just this week I was with one of you who were here this morning, and I'll, I'll make sure that I don't give you away. You can give yourself away if you want, but we were visiting about the drought, visiting about the dry weather. And right in the midst of that conversation, um, you, you said to me, which is something that I have have believed for a long time, particularly being in a rural area for these years, is one of the things that I've tried to learn to do for people in agriculture, for farmers. Uh, we have still have a lot of people who are directly involved in agriculture. Maybe the percentage of that has gotten lower as we've gotten larger, but we still have a large segment of our congregation. So how do you pray for them in these kinds of times or in any kind of time? One of the things that I felt like I needed to pray is that they would have wisdom. That you would have wisdom to know what to do with changing circumstances. And certainly these are changing circumstances today. These are difficult days. All of you feel it and you talk about it. But you said to me, that's the hardest part, is the decisions you have to make. And and trying to make the right decision, sometimes before it actually has to be done, you have to make it. And, And you all know, if you're in agriculture, what I'm talking about in these kinds of times. Just making the proper decision. And about that time that you made that statement, your phone rang and I walked away to let you have that conversation. We'd actually talked for quite a while, so it was kind of probably time for me to get to Bible school and for you to do what you had to do, but the phone rang, and later you came to me. I can't remember if it was the same day or the next day, but soon after that, you came to me to tell me what that call was, and that call was from somebody who was calling to try to help with some of the wisdom, I assume, that you had been asking for. And you got a call that directly directly connected to that, to God graciously providing some answers and some help. That's what I think this text is talking about, that that's the kind of God we have. Now, now, it doesn't necessarily mean it had to be a phone call right then, but this text says some very clear things about, about trials of various kinds, including drought. It says that we can ask God, and we have a God that we can trust to provide direction and help because of what we know about that God. There are two things that we talked about last week. I won't spend a lot of time on that, but there's two fundamental things that we know about this God that we go to when we lack wisdom and ask. First of all, we know that this God is Sovereign. James knew that this God was a sovereign God. He has to be sovereign, folks. 
or we don't have any hope, if he is not absolutely sovereign, how can you know that even though he promises you eternal life, that something won't come and thwart that and stop that and prevent that? He could have every intention of making good on his promise. But if he is not sovereign, you cannot tell me with 100% confidence that there can't be something that can arise and stop that from happening. You can't. And folks, we're talking about something so, so important. Eternal life with God forever in heaven. I, I, I don't want a 95% chance of that. I don't want a 5% chance that it could be wrong or a 4% or a 3% or a 2%, even a 1% chance. The stakes are too high, way too high to even have a 1% chance that God can't deliver on his promise. And the scripture says there isn't a 1% chance. His purposes will not be thwarted. He is sovereign. What he promises, he has the power to accomplish. That's number one. But number two is that he's, James also knew he was a gracious God. Looks, listen to what it says. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. He is a gentr- generous God toward his people, a loving God toward his people. Again, we talked about this last week, so we won't go back over it. But this, this is the thing. This is the thing that we need to convey to our children. We need to convey it by telling them that, that he's gracious and merciful to those who take shelter in him and all that he is for us in Christ. We need to, to talk about that often, but we need to we need to just do more than talk about it. It needs to be so much a part of our life that our children just pick it up, that we know this God as a, as a gracious God, as a loving God, as a God who doesn't let anything come to us except from his love. There's, there's no longer, no longer wrath being stored up for his people. That's what the gospel is all about. It's gone. It was spent on Christ. And so whatever comes to us, whatever comes to us, comes from a sovereign God, absolutely able to do whatever he promises, and it comes lovingly to us, even though at times it's hard and it seems hard and and we wouldn't have chosen it ourselves. But God is is a sovereign and a gracious and loving God. The wisdom that he grants comes from those two attributes. And I think what this text means when it talks about that we need to ask in faith without doubting that we aren't double-minded in any way or unstable is just asking with those two things as bedrocks under our life that we know is sovereign We know nothing thwarts his purpose, and we know that his purpose is to do good to his people. To do eternal good to his people, and to one day plant them in the land. One day plant them in heaven with him. So what causes double-mindedness is when we, we ask him, but we're really not sure that that's the God we have. A God who is sovereign, and a God who is absolutely gracious to us. 
And we begin to doubt those things. We become unstable and double-minded. We ask, but not sure God will be gracious enough to grant. Now, certainly we can ask amiss, and what we ask may not be the best for us, but one of the things we can be confident of, that he will do good to his children. He will do good to them, eternal good to them. And part of the whole idea of lacking wisdom and asking and asking in faith is asking, understanding who our God is, being confident of who our God is, being confident of the one we go to when we ask and beginning to live in that and understand that and let God be for us and extend his grace to us. I think that's what it means in chapter 4 and verse 6 when it says he gives more grace. When we ask for wisdom, That's what he grants. He gives us grace. At times, he may send the phone call that actually may solve the problem right there and show us his answer right there. Other times, that phone call may not come, but he gives us the grace to continue to go through that trial, to continue to know he's with us and working our good. God is a God like that. He is for us. He's absolutely for us and not against us. Double-mindedness isn't convinced of that. Double-mindedness gets us in trouble. Double-mindedness is not living functionally out the gospel of Christ because that's what the gospel says. That's what the gospel is. That's the promise of the gospel, those things. And for the sake of our children... For the sake of our children, we need to be centered in that gospel, in the promises of that gospel, in the fact that we can go to this God for wisdom. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 that we looked at this morning, that's, that's what that is about. That's what the admonition is to the children of Israel, to tell their children these things, to tell how he took them through the trials in the, in the wilderness and brought them now to this land, to, to recount those again and again. What? The sovereignty of God, the mighty hand of God, and the graciousness of God. Are we allowing that to permeate our lives, the graciousness of God? How do you see him? How do you see your God? Are you stoking that in your life? That's what it means to have the gospel be central in our life. That's what it means that the gospel is for believers, that we keep going back to the promise of the graciousness of our God, even in hard times, even in the midst of a broken world, even in the midst of it poking and pricking us. We have a God who ultimately is gracious to his people. He's not somehow punishing them in the fact that he has to extract out a payment for something. That's not what he's doing. In fact, even the discipline of the Lord is for our good, the scripture says. In fact, it says if he does not discipline us, we're illegitimate children. It's not punitive in the sense of trying to extract out payment for our sin. Our our payment for our sin all was put on Christ. So anything now is for our good. It's to cause a steadfastness. It's to cause us to learn to rest in him and his faithfulness and to know the reality, to know the reality of his grace coming to us. 
If we never have the trial, we never can tell about the grace which our children desperately need to hear about. The children of Israel told about God's mighty deliverance and the graciousness of God to their children. That's what they were commanded to tell to them again and again and again and again. Now, as we go on in this particular text, and and we're not going to do that this morning. I'm just not going to go on. It'll take too long. But he turns and he gives an illustration of, of what it means to have the right kind of wisdom, the grace that comes to us when we we want the right, proper kind of wisdom. We'll pick that up next week when he starts to say, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. In all of that, what I want to say in the big picture of that before we break it down next week is what he's talking about there is humility. He's talking about humility. Always staying with the gospel at the center. Always letting it inform us and keep us humble. One of the things that... And, and he speaks in this text about rich or poor. But one of the things that always ought to grow, whether we have wealth or don't have wealth, whether we're in the midst of a horrible trial or not so much trial right now, whatever it is, that poverty of spirit should become more and more pronounced in our life. Dependency upon him. Learning to look to him, letting him extend grace, letting him to be our provision, letting him be our resource, letting him be our help. This morning, I hope that you know the reality of what we sang this morning, that he's your shelter, that he's the one, that whatever comes into our life, it's caused you to let him be your shelter, let him be your help, let him extend grace, let him give wisdom which he promised to graciously give us. I pray this morning that that's where you are. I pray this morning that's where we're going to be as a church as we continue to walk through the book of James. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing together. Father, we pray you'll help us this morning. Help us to rest in you as our shelter. For the sake of our children, help us to rest in you as our shelter, but but not begrudgingly. Rest in you as our shelter. Not as a last gasp effort rely and rest in you as our shelter, but rest in you as our shelter because you have been faithful to us, because you have been gracious to us in the past, and we know that you will continue to be gracious as we go forward. You will continue to help us and be our aid. Lord, we just pray this morning, particularly I pray this morning for for those who who need wisdom in the midst of this drought. I just pray, Father, that you would give them wisdom and grant it and help them believe as they ask that you don't give it grudgingly or, or, or find favor somehow or play favorites. Lord, you, you graciously give it to us if we will rest in the fact that you are God, you are sovereign, and that you are gracious, that we rest in the promises of the gospel. Lord, help us. Help that to feed us. Help that to strengthen us so that we can tell our children and our children's children of the faithfulness of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. We have a shelter.
That's his hands. You'll bring me home. Let's sing it together. Oh, Jesus, I in you, the one who bears my burdens, with faithful hands that cannot fail, you'll bring me home to God's peace. 